The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 145. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Physician universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing The Forest of the Dead. This is the second part of the two-part story that we started last week with Silence in the Library. And now this is the second part to where it's called Forest of the Dead. It's the 10th Doctor, David Tennant, and his companion, Donna Noble. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we're at uh, facebook.com slash Secrets of Doctor Who. And you can also find us on Twitter at SQPN. If you like, share, retweet, all that sort of stuff, it really helps us to reach new audiences and uh, to, to grow the audience. So we really do appreciate that. So to pick up where we left off, the last episode, uh, where the Doctor and Donna arrive on the, this library world where everyone is missing, uh, the, the, he, they encounter uh, Professor River Song and her team. Uh, she's an archaeologist. We'll, we, of course, we know who River Song is uh, going forward from here. And uh, they have encountered a creature that lives, it's a swarm creature that lives in the shadows called the Vashtanrata. They're like the piranha of the air. And Donna, at the end of the last episode, was being the doctor was transmitting her back to the TARDIS, but something happened, intercepted her, and took her away to somewhere else. It saved her. Uh, and where we start with this one is uh, we see this little girl who's in her home, in her living room, and she's watching television, and uh, her dad doesn't believe her that she's seeing these things. And she sees this, she changes the channel on her TV, and she sees this ambulance pull up in front of this, you know, this very posh. Uh, hosp- private hospital in the country, and out from the back of the ambulance on a gurney comes Donna Noble, who wakes up in this room where she meets Dr. Moon, who is the girl's therapist in her world, but he's also on TV as Dr. Moon, uh, who tells Donna that he's been treating her since she came to this hospital two years ago, and she has this moment where she doesn't remember him, and then suddenly she does remember him and doesn't remember Mm -hmm. the doctor. So there's this very weird moment for her. And he has this phrase that he keeps using where when she doesn't remember something that he wants her to remember, either he or Donna will say something like, oh, I must have forgot. And then he'll say, and then you remembered. And suddenly she remembers. And so he's clearly manipulating her. And there's even a moment later on where he shimmers and she briefly sees the doctor and he uses the line, and then you forgot. So he's yes. keeping her from remembering the doctor. Right. Now, there's a sign, by the way, outside this hospital that, that, that says on it, Cal, which is a phrase we've heard mm-hmm. from before. 
that uh, has a reference to something to do with the library's computer system. Well, and it's also interesting because we start to see now scenes that are one right after another where, you know, usually on TV, when you see scenes one right after another, you assume, oh, well, they, they walked from the room outside. They walked from this spot outside to another location. And Donna's going, I don't remember coming out here. Oh, yes, you you remember. And now you remember that we walked down the stairs and right. did all this. Yeah. We have this like this skipping time where Donna is losing time, or she thinks she's losing time, but really, it there is no time passing. She's just having the memories sort of pushed into her brain. So she meets mm-hmm. this guy with a stutter. Uh, then his she, name is Lee McAvoy. Lee and, McAvoy, yes. And in in what's now a creepy montage, because we know this is not happening. We're not looking at different moments in time yes. separated by years. We're seeing it in real time and we're just jumping yep. from one moment in her relationship with Lee to another suddenly they're married they have babies the babies are toddlers they've been married for 7 years and right. and it's like in less than a minute all this has happened and that makes it creepy right and so now Donna is in her home quote unquote with her kids and Dr Moon comes to visit and while they're standing there in the living room suddenly Dr Moon phases out and the doctor is there in in his place and he says, Donna! And then he phases back, and he says something about a signal from the moon. Yeah. And then he yeah. phases out, and Dr. Moon is there again. And like you said, he, like, you, and then you forgot. And then that was that. So we have, like, this whole sequence of events very quickly, and then we're back to uh, the, the doctor and River in the rotunda of the library, back there again. Uh, and the doctor and River, they kind of spar a bit over her screwdriver. Uh, and, and, you know, why do you have that? Where did you get it? You gave it to me. I don't just give my screwdrivers away to just anybody. She's like, I know. (laughs) I'm not anybody. (laughs) I'm not anybody. Exactly. And to convince him that she's someone he trusts, she whispers in his ear. And of course, what did she whisper? We find out later it's his name, which no one knows. Not even his most trusted companions ever knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't know that it's his name at this point, but she leans forward. She says, I I trust you, and I need you to trust me right now, and I wish I had. She uses his, a variant of his tagline, I'm sorry, I'm so, so sorry. And she leans forward and whispers to him, and he's clearly very shaken by whatever she mm-hmm. said to him. But he right. trusts her now. Right, like instantaneously, yep. the, the, the switch flips, and he's like, I'm, I'm, if she knows this, I'm, I, I must trust her. So, um, a signal, you know, he says the signal is interfering with a the screwdriver. They find out that the moon was constructed. It's a yeah. Doctor Moon, a virus checker mm. for the hard drive at the center of the planet. Yeah, the yeah. moon is now coming into orbit over the part of the library where they are, and that's why it's beaming down a signal, which is interfering with the sonic screwdriver. And uh, he says it also it, it, it's, it's either uh, the moon or it could be someone drying their hair because the some hair dryers also mess with the sonic <laughs> screwdriver. <Right. laughs> and he, that and sounds like a weird technical glitch. But. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like in Blink where the doctor builds, builds a contraption that lets them detect time signals but also causes eggs to explode. So don't get it near a chicken. <laughs> yes, yeah, mm. I remember that one. So uh, – we have this moment where they see Donna, so we're sort of jumping back in time again. 
but they that's where he sees Donna for an instant and she's yeah. gone he, before he, they, gone again. he uses the sonic to try to compensate with for the signal with the moon and that's when Donna momentarily phases in and they see an image of her yes uh and then Anita says um uh by the way folks I have two shadows um and they they they, they go through this thing stand very still put on your helmet and Anita starts crying and River says, don't overreact. And she says, I'm crying. I'm about to die. It's not an overreaction. I mean, it's a, actually a really good moment there where, she, where like, I, I have permission to, to react. I'm reacting. Yeah. It's not an overreaction. Uh, the, also, they, hmm. they tent Anita's visor dark to block the light from outside the suit to make the Vashna Narada think, oh, there's a shadow in the suit. Uh, so maybe we're already in there. So yes. it's a way to try to keep them from eating her. Right. Um, and then uh, the the doctor and Donna sort of crouch down. Uh, I'm sorry, doctor and River, they sort of crouch down. And the doctor says, you said there are five people still alive in this room? She says, yeah, so so why are there six? They turn around. It's zombie Dave. Hey, yeah. who turned out the lights? <laughs> Run! <laughs> um, and I was thinking at this point, you know, the other Moffat uh, story, the first one he wrote for Doctor Who, the, uh, the, the Empty Child. The Empty Child. Are you my who- mummy? Yes, this mm-hmm. character kept following them around. Are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? And I'm thinking, what he's done in both of these is he's taken this benign statement, are you my mummy? Hey, who turned out the lights? And turned them into this, in a particular context, Super they become creepy. really yeah. creepy. And it's just yeah. all in the way it's said or where it's said or by who it's said. Uh, so it, whom? But it's really, uh, I, I really, it's really a clever writing thing. I mean, I, I, I have to say, I, I think Moffat is a really good writer in in most cases, and I think this is well, that, evidence of it. It's some kind of awesome. Well, that's that's kind of going back to the old Twilight Zone episode, "How to Serve Man." Right. You know, mm-hmm. that sounds like an innocuous phrase. How do you serve a man? Yes. How do you give him food? <laughs> no, it's how do you cook him? Yes. How do you serve turkey? <laughs> yeah. So well, now back in Donna's uh, world, wherever she ha- is right now, she's up uh, in her home. She's at. Uh, getting ready for bed, I think it is, uh, in her bedroom. And she looks, or no, this was before this. I, I think it's in her living room. Yeah, her kids have made a uh, a, a clay doll of her. Yes. And she notes it doesn't have a face, which is a reference to the fact her face is now being used by a data node in the library. Right. And then um, she Donna goes to look out the window, and she sees this figure in black in sort of this long black Victorian dress. Going down the street with a uh, veil, so you can't veil. see who it is. Yeah, and this and it's sort of this clue that something is wrong with the world. Uh, and uh, and she gets, uh, in fact, what she gets is um, now she's preparing for bed, and Lee and her are there, and it's midnight, and someone puts something through the uh, the slot of the door, the mail slot, and Lee goes and gets it, and she looks at the window, and it's again the the woman in the long black Victorian dress walking away. And he brings a note and says, it just says, the world is wrong, and then meet you tomorrow at your usual play park at 2 o'clock. And, uh, and, and that's that. So, so you know, what's going on? And the g- little girl watching this on TV says, don't go. Don't, don't go into that room. Don't open the door. Don't go in the yeah, basement. Notice how meta the moment is where you have the little girl watching Donna on TV having the same reaction the audience watching at home is having. It's like, that's, it's going to be dangerous. Don't go. <laughs> right. So we then, again, Donna is skipping through time. She's 
no, no time is actually passing for Donna. It just she's just skipping from moment to moment. And now she's at the playground, and the, her kids go off and play. And the uh, veiled woman is there in, in black, and um, she tells her the time progresses here in the manner of a dream, from moment to moment. And Donna realizes I recognize your voice. You're Miss Evangelista. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And so yes, it is. And so like you know, aren't you dead? <laughs> Which we've heard that phrase used in a different movie uh, recently. Uh, so mm-hmm. the uh, so then we cut back to the doctor and River. Uh, they're running from the from uh, Zombie Dave, and the doctor stops in this kind of walkway that's up in the air. Yes, yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. River's like, "Don't stop now!" He goes, "Keep going. I I want to talk to them. Uh, you know, you go on ahead." And and then River says to other Dave, "Right, proper Dave is the mm-hmm. one who's been zombied. Other Dave is the other guy." You stay here uh, and watch him and make sure he co- he comes. So he yep. talks to the Vashtanarada and you know he says to them, you hunt in forests. You're hatched from spores and trees. Why are you in this library? We are in the forest. We are in the trees. And it turns out, yes, they're surrounded by trees in the form of books, printed mm-hmm. books. And you think right. like for a, a, a worldwide library, they must have cut down a world's worth of trees yeah. to print these. This this, oh, this yeah. is another reason why Kindle books are so much better than paper books. <laughs> they don't have Vashinarata spores in them. <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of like there's a bit of that hubris. It's this sort of a criticism here. Like, you know, you are a civilization that doesn't need books, and yet you've wasted this resource of all of these trees for hmm. this anachronistic, you know, let's create a world of books that no one really needs. And it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it also humanizes the Vashtanarada because they're just creatures who are here on their... This is one of their home worlds. They aren't invading. Yeah. They're just doing what they do. They're trying to survive. They're looking for meat to eat. Right. Exactly. Uh, interesting that they apparently can talk, uh, that they are intelligent. Well, they, they, can, they can use the neural Link. transmitters. Right. Yeah. But they they uh they they don't there's an assumption though that there's enough intelligence in them that they're not right. just an animal right but at least as a swarm yeah. they're intelligent mm-hmm. so they could be like a bee colony or an ant colony that even though the individuals aren't intelligent as a group they display a sort of collective intelligence right right. So, and, and in fact, uh, River tells him before she runs away, you know, it's a carnivorous swarm in a suit. You can't reason with it. And he's like, nope, I'm going to talk for five minutes. So through the, through the conversation that the doctor's having with zombie Dave, other Dave is behind him, you know, who keeps saying, you know, we should go, doctor. Like, there's this, and, and you kind of just hear him in the background. It's just this natural, like, come on, doctor, We're, we need to get out of here. Let's, we should go. Let's go. Let's go. Until... The both the audience and the doctor kind of realize at the same moment that he's saying the same thing over and over again in the exactly. same exact way, in the same exact way, and turns and sees, oh, Dave, I'm so sorry, as the tenth doctor says so well, <laughs> who is now he's a skeleton now he's been eaten by the Vashnarada, and I thought that was such an effective scene because not only is it written well, I mean you have to write it well, but the director had to be on board with how do I how do I do this? Like, this isn't just mm-hmm. a writing thing. The director had to film it the right way so that it comes as a shock to the audience. So I really, this is, I think, one of the best scenes 
in the, in the episode. Yeah. So now the uh, doctor is trapped between proper Dave and other Dave, both of yes. whom have now been eaten by the Vashti Narada. And he reveals the secret to how he's lived this long. <laughs> Always stand near the exit. <laughs> yeah, and he uses the Sonic to open a trap door underneath him in the catwalk and drops yep. below it. And then we see the heroic shot of him somehow not having fallen to his death, but instead having grabbed onto the underside of the catwalk at the last minute, yeah. and he's monkey-barring his way across. Well, when you're trapped, stand on the trap door. That's, that's the, the... Oh. <laughs> of course, why, why, there's, why there's a trap door over absolutely nothing is a whole other story. Well, yes, but... that's a, that seems like having a, ba a bad design is a trap door that opens down uh, over a vast gulf, an abyss. So back at the playground, Evangelista tells Donna that everyone there is that she sees is the dead of the library. And she points out that all the children are the same. Not They're all copies. Donna's children are just copies of all the other children. And finally, her eyes are open and she sees. All of, all of the kids in the playground are copies of her son and daughter. Right, and, right. And Miss Evangelista tells her, your children were never alive. Which, right. to a parent, imagine how horrific that would oh. be. Right. To, like for because for Donna this is reality this is what life is and and you know the, this is her experience of it and yeah it's it's horrific and and one of the things I I was thinking about like with uh, Miss the name Evangelista Miss Evangelista is evangelist it, it means good news you know in mm -hmm. in the sense one, of one who gives good news right and she is bringing the truth to Donna she's bringing the good news in a sense. Which mm -hmm. doesn't feel yep. like good news, but is sets her free. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, it, it, do, it it does eventually intellectually set her free from the manipulative prison she's trapped in. Right, right. I, I yep. just I feel like I don't know if Moffat intended it that way, but certainly it feels like that there's there's, there's some truth in this where you know it, it it sort of portrays the truth of is. The, the good news will set you free. You will, you'll, 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 you're, you're trapped in a world that isn't the real world, but feels like right. it. And the good news will eventually bring you to a better world, a better place. Yeah. Also, uh, Donna gets so upset that she like rips the veil off Miss Evangelista, and we see this hideously distorted face. Right. It's mm -hmm. like the, it's not distorted in the sense of like birth defects, but it's distorted in like computer bulging and shrinking of different right. yeah. parts of the face. Yeah, if you ever if you ever see those those programs where you can like enlarge someone's eyes or their smile or something yeah. like that. That's what she looks like. Like someone took one of those and did some smudging of yeah. a picture of her. Yeah, back in the day it was Kai's power tools or power yes. soap. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. So, uh but she says it's transcription errors when she was saved into the she was being she was dying as the Vashnarada were killing her. And so as she was being saved into the computer, um, there were transcription errors. There was data, data, data checksum errors, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, so it messed up her appearance, but it made her smart, whereas right. the original her was not smart. Right. She says she thinks a, uh, a decimal point got moved in her IQ, which would mean she went from like 70 to 700. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. And uh, and she says, I therefore have the two qualities required to see absolute truth. I am brilliant and unloved. And I thought, <laughs> hmm, maybe that explains Jimmy Akin's mysterious world. <laughs> <laughs> but but then Donna, she's as as she's explaining um, 
as Mr. Evangelista is explaining to Donna that none of this environment is real, Donna is like, this isn't even my real body. I've been dieting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really good. Because uh, that's so Donna. That is so Donna. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, meanwhile, River is explaining to Anita that the doctor, like, I keep wishing the doctor was here. And Anita's like, he is here, right? And she's like, no, no, my doctor. And she ex- kind of explains how he's not her doctor. He's not the doctor she remembers or the doctor he will become that she remembers. Uh, so that, yeah. so, and I get that. Also, there's a bit of meta here because the phrase my doctor is used by yep. fans of the show to indicate yes. the doctor they prefer, usually the one they first started watching. Right. From a parental perspective, sometimes I think I look at my my say my thirteen year old and I say, I mean, I love her, I love her as as she is, but I sometimes I miss the two year old that she was. You know what I mean? Mm. I miss spending mm-hmm. time with that child. You know, uh, of course, I you know you never remember the diapers and the late night screaming sessions where they didn't sleep and that sort of stuff. But you know, <laughs> and, I, and I so I understand there's there's some of that in a natural sense, but for her with the time travelers, there's a there's a time traveler sense of that too. So it's really interesting. The doctor, meanwhile, gets into the 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 um, computers, and he says, "You know, he's talking about this phrase, 4,022 save, uh, saved, no survivors.'" And he says something I don't understand, and I don't know if it's a Britishism or something, but he says, "Nobody says saved. Nutters say saved. You say safe. You yeah. see it? It didn't. Mm-hmm. I, it didn't mean safe. It meant it literally meant saved." And I'm like, "Why don't people say saved?" In fact, he eventually says saved. Yeah, I I didn't get that either. It could be a, an item of British English. That was one possibility that occurred to me. It also could be that he's thinking of religious nutters talking about how many people were saved in the heavenly right. sense. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, because yeah, I mean, you you hear like there's a um uh, like a, the hurricane. We just had a hurricane right. here in the United States, and someone would talk about how they they saved so many animals from people's houses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or a ship sinking and the, the Coast Guard saved 300 people. You yeah. saved them. Uh, yeah. I, that, maybe, that that was is, a, maybe that is just a U.S. English sense that British English doesn't do. Obviously, yeah. one of our British friends will let us know otherwise, yeah. I'm sure. Please help. <laughs> However, the doctor does eventually, as a result of this, realize they've been saved to the hard drive of the library. Right. When the Vashnarada uh, hatched and started attacking, Someone hit the alarm. And, and frankly, by the way, that might answer your objection. There were only 4,000 people in the library. There might have been a lot more than that. Uh, you, got when the bash, you got eaten. Yep. Uh, so, so, that makes it much darker. And they <laughs> didn't suggest that Cal didn't save everybody. Yes. Exactly. So, as soon as someone knew, they someone hit the alarm, and then the security system teleported all 4,022 people out. But it had nowhere to send them, so it stored them in the system. And uh, the physical self we find out from Evangelista, is stored in the nodes, which is, you know, so the, the faces that we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where we get the, I've been dieting. By, by the way, just to go back for a bit, uh, when River was telling Anita about how the doctor is not her doctor, she kind of waxes poetic about him and says, uh, I've seen whole armies run away from him, and I've seen him just swagger back and open the TARDIS with a snap of his fingers. Yeah. And when the doctor gets there, he's dissing that. It's like, that's not how TARDISes work. 
no one can open it by snapping their fingers. Yeah. yeah, but but we then will see one of those we'll see later this episode, and then in the future we will witness River seeing whole do- armies running away from the Doctor. Right. Yeah. Um, that happens in whatever the sequel. Pre, it's either the Pandorica opens, or if that's yep. the second part, or it's the first part right. of that. I think it's the second run, part right. of it, yeah. Second yeah. part of that episode. Also, I like the dialogue when the Doctor does show up. They say, where's other Dave? And he just says, not coming. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, but meanwhile, Anita is still there. So that's important to, to recognize. Um, mm-hmm. The little girl, uh, meanwhile, gets upset when Evangelista starts telling Donna about Cal. So... We we realize that she is Cal, and she starts the self-destruct on the planet, on the, the library computer. Yeah. She and turns, with her TV remote that she's been manipulating events in the library with, she turns off her dad, who just winks mm-hmm. out of existence. And that's scary. And she's yep. throwing this tantrum and, as she's having a panic attack, and she, like, does something with the remote that causes a 20-minute auto-destruct on the library to start. Right. Uh, and so the Doctor and River and Lux and Anita have to travel to the center of the planet, and they they, they do so on this gravity platform. And, uh, and then we have this wrenching scene where Donna is putting her children to bed in this imaginary world. And the sky has turned red yes. in the imaginary world. We also, in the course of this, we see intercutting. We see Dr. Moon trying to calm Cal down, mm-hmm. and she turns him off. Yes. And yeah. so now the Dr. Moon, the virus checker, is no longer protecting the data core of the planet. And right. then we get this scene with Donna, where Donna's daughter, Ella, turns to him and says, Mommy, Joshua and me, we're not real, are we? And the kids, and she's like, of course you are. And the kids are like, even when you close your eyes, we just stop. And then as the doctor tries to kiss Ella, both of them vanish. As Donna does. Yeah. And, and both of the kids vanish, and yeah. Donna has a meltdown. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, I got to tell you, that was, that was a wrenching scene. That, is a, that was a hard thing to watch. Yeah, Donna, yeah. Donna suffers a lot in this one, that's for sure. Um, so, Meanwhile, in the, in the library, the doctor is trying to wake Cal up, and that gets visualized as Cal is curled up in a little ball on the floor with toys attacking her. Right. Yeah. Right, in the girl's home with Dr. Moon. And then, um, so the Doctor and River and Lux and Anita travel to the center of the planet, and they find out that the little girl that they've been seeing is Cal, who is the com- the command node. So now we see one of those nodes, mm-hmm. but this time it's the girl's face on it, and she's the computer. And, and her name, Cal, is short for Charlotte Abigail Lux. She's yeah. the daughter of one of the founders of the library. Yeah, she had been dying, so they built the biggest library in the universe for her and uploaded her into it. That's essentially uh, what happened. Hmm. So the doctor says, okay, in order to get all these people out, I need to make space in the memory. Uh, So I I refuse to dump the books out of the memory core. I don't know why. (laughs) Bad decision. (laughs) Yes. Instead, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, He's going to use his own brain what, what, memory what, once again once again the analogy of of the human mind as a computer and it's just more memory storage that he can add to the computer system right apparently yeah he sends river and in, in, uh lux out to go get more memory cores uh and then he reveals that he knows that anita had been eaten by the vashnarada a while ago but we're using her voice to, to to talk to him 
Um, and and he says, uh, I'm willing to let that go if you let the others go, if you let all this, these 4,000 people go. Um, and it says, why should we do what you say? And he does the whole swagger. I'm the doctor. You're in the biggest library in the universe. Look me up. Which is a line that Moffat keeps going back to, the whole look me up thing. Well, it's a theme. And eventually... And I think we've talked about this. We certainly will in the future. But yeah. it, the doctor's reputation gets too big. And mm-hmm. eventually Moffat even plays with that in the show and pulls it back um, yeah. because the character was starting to rely too much on his reputation. And a lot of fans have criticized that fact about the show. I know I have been critical of it. In this case, I don't mind it so much because not only because it's one of the first instances where the doctor trades on his reputation, but also because his reputation does not precede him with the Vashna Narada. They have to look him up to realize Mm -hmm. who he is. It's not like, oh, it's the doctor. We better run. they, They don't know anything about him until they look him up in the library, which they are in. Right. So he does get an agreement from the Vashnarada that they give him basically 24 hours. You get everyone out, they have 24 hours, and then the the planet is ours. But getting them out of the computer is a problem because, as River points out to the doctor, um, if he hooks himself up to the computer, it will burn up both of his hearts and he will not regenerate. So yes. this will be the definitive end of the doctor. So, of course, she knocks him out. Yes, and yeah. wires herself. Why is herself in? Um, and uh, she says to him when he wakes up, and she's, she's handcuffed him to something so he can't interfere, she realizes he's always known how she would die. And that's the thing. So he's seeing her at this moment, in her final moments, and she realizes that he's always known this about her, that this is how mm-hmm. things would end. He's already seen the end of their relationship. He's already seen her die, which is a fascinating uh, yeah. thing to, to think about. There's some really significant dialogue that occurs in this exchange. When the doctor first wakes up, he's he's like telling her to let him save the planet. He says, that's my job. And she says, and I'm not allowed to have a career, I suppose. Another blatant <laughs> indicator, she's his future wife. Right. And he's chained with these handcuffs. And she says, how do you even have handcuffs? And she says, spoilers. Another <laughs> indication, she's yep. his future wife. Right. Um. River uh, tells him, you wouldn't have a chance and neither do I. And so she knows exactly what's going to happen. And she then realizes this means you always knew how I was going to die. She says, you showed up with a new haircut and a suit. You took me to the singing towers of Derillium. What a night that was. The towers sang, you cried, cried, you gave me your screwdriver. And we later get to see all of that in the Husbands of River song. And I like how the new haircut, I always interpreted that as a new regeneration, and it is the first time she meets Peter Capaldi's doctor yes. is when that happens. Also, um, the doctor then gives us the famous line, time can be rewritten, and she says, not those times, not one line, don't you dare. And yep. and then he says, River, you know my name. There's only one reason, one time I could tell anybody that. And so it it builds up the mystery around the doctor's name. Why is there only one reason he would ever tell someone? Is it his marriage? What would be the one time? Are Time Lords forbidden to tell their names other than mm. that? Or is it something else? And we still don't know the answers to all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when he says that to her, she just says, hush now. 
spoilers, and then she dies. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just that I, I love this. The th- I loved watching this, thinking about the Husbands of River song and that whole moment and and the, that encounter where she didn't know the Twelfth Doctor. And that, that was so great. It was a lot of fun to see that. But But to see it here... From this point of view, this is the end of all of those stories we saw about River Song, which is kind of funny to think about. Um, so all of the people are are recovered from the hard drive. They're teleported out, and we could see them all wearing black for some reason. Being, I know. Everyone in the future wears black. What is up with that? <laughs> Steve Jobs yeah. is a saint, and everyone reveres him greatly in the 51st century. So, yeah. So uh, uh, she Donna is looking for... Her husband from within the Matrix, uh, Lee McAvoy, and, and she thinks she she explains to him that none of this has been real, and he says, "Am I real?" Right. And she concludes he is, presumably because he's a, another patient. She wasn't a right. He wasn't like one of the kids that came along later. And she says, "I'll find you. I promise. I will find you." Right. And so she's been looking for him and can't find him. And she says to the doctor, "He must not have been real. He was. He was the perfect man. He couldn't talk back and." <laughs> you know, and these other yeah. things. Gorgeous um, and can't can't talk. What does that right. say about me? And the doctor says everything. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant nothing. <laughs> yeah, <love> that line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that so, came out wrong. <laughs> that, yeah. So, uh, but then we see tragically, uh, stepping onto the transmat is Lee. He turns the collar, but he has the stammer, and he can't get the name up before he's transported away. Right. Yeah. Oh. So. We we come to what we think is a denouement, well, the end of the, the episode, where uh, the Doctor and Donna are now standing on that balcony from the beginning, and he's leaving River's diary there, and um, Donna worries why River didn't know her. And then suddenly, the Doctor comes running back, and he says he realizes that future him would have manipulated the Sonic to save River. Uh, mm-hmm. And he realizes a neural relay in it, and he races to upload her to the mainframe. Because with Stephen Moffat, no one ever dies. Yep. No one important. No one important. And so River and Cal and all of the rest of River's team all live on in the mainframe. Uh, happily, in, happily ever after in a perfect it, world on it, the mainframe. In the fake horror world in the mainframe, yes. Um, yep. So so Donna lives. And Miss Evangelista has been upgraded. Her face is now normal. And all yes. of the crew that got eaten by the Vashon Arata, their data ghosts are saved too. And get yep. to live in the paradise world and... Everything is perfect. Yeah. And the doctor goes back to the TARDIS and on an experiment snaps his fingers and the doors open. <laughs> yes. Uh, everybody lives. Uh, in fact, that's the one of the last lines is that it is... Now River is the mother to these children. Three children she, now. She's had children. more. Right. Well, Charlotte and then the other two. And uh-huh. the, uh, Ella and Joshua. And uh, she's... Closes the diary that she's been reading to them, and she says, everybody lives. Sweet dreams, everyone. Like, everybody, it's like Moffat is just telling us, when I become showrunner, this is how it's going to work. Everybody lives. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, because we, we, you know, we talked about the empty child and the, the parallel of having that phrase you repeat over and over. Well, here's another parallel with that, because, yes. of course, at the end of that one, the doctor, everybody lives. You know, everybody just, was, was just healed. Once. Everybody lived. Yes. Just once. Everybody lived. Yeah, not just once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so, uh, any th- any other notes about this, Father Corey? Do you have anything else to say about this episode? Only I, only one thing I, I did kind of notice is when uh, when River was telling Anita about the Doctor, 
And it shows him sitting up on that second level at the top of the steps of the second level. I kind of had a, a, a flash forward to Peter Capaldi in his, in his TARDIS. Cause a lot of times he'd be up on the second level of the TARDIS and would right. be sitting on the steps up to the second level. It was just kind of like a mirror there. Right. Hmm. Right. That's true. Interesting. Um, you know, I did want to mention one thing I noticed when they were down in the mainframe room, like this looks like an industrial space, but it's a library. So there's a cart of books waiting to be put away down there. Did you notice that? Oh, I saw the back. didn't see it. I worked in a library as a, like a library page when I was in high school. And that's those carts just all bring back memories. But it's so funny. Like, yeah, it's a library. So, of course, there's a cart of books to be put away in a space <laughs> that it's not supposed to be. That's just the way it is. Yeah, from a century ago. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy, you have any less? Uh, yeah. So uh, just a, a bit of dialogue I noted. Um, there's a moment where as Donna is coming to grips with the fact that her world is not real and these children are not real, she turns to Miss Evangelista and says, you don't know, you don't have children. And Miss Evangelista just calmly says, neither do you. Oh, like, yes. Oh, wow. Is that chilling? Yeah. yeah. Also, at the end of the episode, after everyone's been rematerialized, the doctor is very subdued because even though 4,022 people were saved, River was not. And so he's really unsettled about what all that means. And Donna says to him, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, of course I'm all right. I'm always all right. And she says, is all right a special Time Lord code for really not all right? Because <laughs> yes. I'm all right too. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Also, there is a moment where uh, when they're about to leave the diary the and Donna's worried about what's going to happen with her in the future, the doctor says, we could look and see what's going to happen. And he seems genuinely open to mm -hmm. both of them looking in the diary and seeing what their futures hold, even though it breaks his rules. And Donna decides not to look, that it's right. better to yep. not know. Also, my final note on this is this episode, or two-parter, follows the Moffat pattern of awesome setup, yeah. less good payoff. Mm -hmm. With his long-running stories, whether it's the Cracks in Time or the River Song arc or the Silence, um, yeah. awesome setup. Uh, the Impossible Astronaut is another one of this. Awesome setup, payoff not nearly as good. However, the the uh, the Husbands of River Song, duh, even though it's not, really the payoff of like how does the doctor get married to river and stuff like that mm -hmm. it is a good ending so yes this is a bit of an exception but still conforms to the overall moffat pattern of awesome setup not as great a payoff right but yeah. still one of the best of the modern oh, yeah. stories he, he just he seems like the kind that he can come up with a really great idea and really execute it well but he just doesn't know how to land the airplane yeah, yeah. exactly Right, like like when you're in high school and you're writing the concluding paragraph to your essay, and you just can't figure out what to say. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe end. it's just me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, we want to first, before we finish up, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Michael F, Justin D, Michael P, John T, and Theo V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Silence in the Library and Force of the Dead? We'd love to hear your feedback, what you thought of these episodes. Are they your, among your favorites? 
let us know by going to sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first Doctor story from the first Doctor. <laughs> you know what I mean. The Planet of Giants. <laughs> I, I always have trouble talking about the first Doctor story. And I, and I love Planet of the Giants because yeah. it's a story that is atypical of what you get in other eras of Doctor Who. It's from the early days, and it shows us a side of what the show can do that they don't really follow up on until the time of the 12th Doctor and the episode Flatline. Excellent, mm-hmm. excellent. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, spoilers, sweetie. Right. This is going to be fun.